subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes drop every other Monday. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. To join in on the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I've dabbled in acting before, took some classes, appeared in a couple of shorts in college, nothing fancy. But I consider myself a writer first and foremost, so the recent strikes by SAG-AFTRA and the WGA does have an effect on my future. Both unions went on strike when their contracts with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, AMPTP, expired. They couldn't come to agreement with the use of AI in the film and television industry, residuals from streaming services, and other benefits that need updating. A list of demands from both unions were published online, and upon reading, they seem pretty reasonable. And to the AMPTP's credit, they did offer some negotiation. Obviously, the unions want 10%, and they said 5%, and, you know, they're going to go back and forth on it. But what I found most interesting are the parts that the AMPTP rejected outright. I'll give you a couple of examples. Revenue sharing was outright rejected by the AMPTP. Background actors who perform double duty want to be compensated accordingly. Again, rejected. Actors going on auditions want to know the tone, style, genre, period, creative vision, or character descriptions to understand the part they're being asked to portray. That was rejected. Imagine going on an interview and saying, what does this job entail? And the interviewer says, I can't tell you that. That's basically what's being said here. Actors who perform motion capture should be acknowledged as SAG-AFTRA covered category of work. Rejected. And this one's my favorite increased penalties against a production when meal breaks and rest periods are not provided. Nope, that's over the line. Rejected. Look, the industry has changed tremendously, and everyone's trying to play catch-up. Think about how many Plus services have launched in the last five years alone. It used to be that if a series reached 100 episodes, it would go into syndication where actors, writers, directors would earn money from sales to cable networks. What was the last series that reached 100 episodes? Does anyone know? It's rare to have a streaming series last more than two or three seasons with eight to ten episodes each. These contracts need to be rewritten to reflect the industry as it stands here and now. I know this is going to come off as if I'm bashing studios, and I'm definitely not. I've worked for studios almost my entire career. It's a great gig if you can get it. But I do have to take to task the executives. I've worked with a good amount of executives who take more vacation time than their whole department combined. Or they say they're traveling for work that somehow leads them to London, Dubai, Morocco, where we don't have offices. And the ones that are getting paid $25, $35, $50 million a year? For what? What company-altering decisions are they making that requires that much money? 
if you were to take away $10 million from their salary, the studios would be able to afford some of the proposals that SAG-AFTRA and the WGA are asking for. If it weren't for members of Congress, this would be the biggest money-racketing scheme. A24 is an independent movie studio. They produce the 2023 Best Motion Picture of the Year, Everything Everywhere All at Once, the 2017 Best Motion Picture of the Year, Moonlight, as well as horror film Hereditary, coming-of-age Lady Bird, psychological drama The Whale, crime thriller Uncut Gems, folk horrors Midsummer and the Witch, and drama Room. Now, it's important to note that they are not part of AMPTP, but that studio agreed to all the terms presented by SAG-AFTRA and the WGA. A24 is valued at $2.5 billion. Disney is valued at $157 billion. They were one of the studios that rejected their proposals. Does anyone truly believe these studios are acting in good faith? Or are they just trying to hoard as much money to line the pockets of their executives? On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars Standard Fair. Four stars Worth Checking Out. And five stars Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. On this episode of the podcast, I'll be reviewing Taxi Driver from 1976. So how'd I miss it? I've said it before, I'll say it again. I've never been a big fan of the gritty 70s movies. Most of them are incredible. Beautifully shot, well-acted, but deeply depressing. And as someone who grew up in the 80s with those fantastical films, like Back to the Future, The Goonies, Flight of the Navigator, those films from a decade earlier just bum me out. But they are probably one of the high points in cinema history. It was directed by Martin Scorsese, who helmed Mean Streets, Raging Bull, The Color of Money, Goodfellas, Hugo, The Wolf of Wall Street, The Irishman, and won an Academy Award for Best Achievement in Directing for The Departed. The screenplay was written by Paul Schrader, who scribed Hardcore, American Gigolo, Raging Bull, Bringing Out the Dead, and was nominated for a Best Original Screenplay Oscar for First Reformed. It stars Robert De Niro as Travis Bickle, I did a career retrospective of the acting legend in the Midnight Run episode of season one, so check that out. So I'm going to focus on Jodie Foster, who portrays Iris. Born and raised in Los Angeles, she appeared in a Copper Tone ad at the age of three. This led to more commercial work and her first television role in Mayberry RFD in 1968. She would be cast in one-off episodes of other series, including The Doris Day Show, Julia, Daniel Boone, Ironside, Bonanza, The Paul Lind Show, Kung Fu, and many others. Her feature film debut was called Napoleon and Samantha, and would be cast in other Disney films, One Little Indian, Candle Shoe, and Freaky Friday. Not wanting to be typecast, she was offered the role of Iris in Taxi Driver, which opened the door to other more substantial parts, including Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane, Foxes, and The Hotel New Hampshire. Her performance in The Accused earned her a Golden Globe and Academy Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role. This led to her being cast as Clarice Starling in The Silence of the Lambs, which earned her a second Academy Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role. 
She directed her first feature, Little Man Tate, in 1991, followed by Home for the Holidays four years later, and The Beaver in 2011. Other notable films include Maverick, Nell, Contact, Panic Room, Flight Plan, Inside Man, and Elysium. This is something to look out for. At the time of filming, there was a garbage strike, so much of the trash on screen is real. But it's New York in the 70s, so who could tell the difference? So let's jump into it. Travis Bickle has insomnia and figures if he's up all night, he should try to make some money out of it, and applies for a job moonlighting as a taxi driver. He's not selective and will take any passengers to the Bronx, Brooklyn, or Harlem. At the end of a 12-hour shift, when he returns the taxi to the garage, he cleans out all sorts of fluids from the back seat. Travis passes the time writing his thoughts in a notebook and refers to a blonde woman named Betsy that he saw at the campaign headquarters of Senator Charles Palantine. A couple of days later, he enters the building and asks Betsy out for coffee, which she accepts. On their next date, he brings her to a porno theater, where she's disgusted and leaves. Distraught by feelings of rejection, increased isolation and loneliness, and disenchantment with life, Travis experiences mental decline leading to violent tendencies. Here's a quote without context. I once had a horse on Coney Island. She got hit by a car. Taxi Driver is a mood film. You have to be in a certain mood to watch it. I'd be weary of someone who watches it for enjoyment. It's an excellent movie, but watching a man slowly deteriorate is not my definition of a fun Saturday night. The acting is natural. There were no moments that felt staged or contrived. Sybil Shepard played Betsy. I talk about her career in the Moonlight episode of season two of the podcast, so have a listen. The rest of the cast includes Albert Brooks, Peter Boyle, and Harvey Keitel. There is a cameo appearance by director Martin Scorsese as a cab passenger. There isn't much plot to the movie. The scenes are interesting, but in general, we're just watching days in this person's life. From an artistic standpoint, it's a beautifully shot film, ultra-realistic, it's not pretty, it's gritty. It's reflective of a time when it only cost $1.85 at the movie concession stand for popcorn, Royal Crown Soda, and candy bars. With inflation, that'll now cost you $27. Now for a little trivial trivia. The movie is dedicated to composer Bernard Herrmann, who died on Christmas Eve 1975, only a few hours after completing the score for the film. Taxi Driver was produced by Julia and Michael Phillips, known for The Sting, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. It was filmed on location in New York City. The cinematography was captured by Michael Chapman, whose filmography includes The Last Waltz, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Hardcore, The Lost Boys, Ghostbusters 2, and Space Jam. He was nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Cinematography of Raging Bull and The Fugitive. It was co-edited by Tom Rolfe, known for New York, New York, Heaven's Gate, The Right Stuff, Jacob's Ladder, and Dangerous Minds, and Melvin Shapiro, who worked on Finian's Rainbow, Brenda Starr, Billy Jack Goes to Washington, and American Hot Wax. The score was composed by Bernard Herrmann, who wrote the music for Citizen Kane, Anna and the King of Siam, The Day the Earth Stood Still, Vertigo, North by Northwest, Obsession, and won an Academy Award for Best Music, scoring of a dramatic picture for all that money can buy. The runtime is 1 hour 54 minutes. It had a budget of $2 million and grossed $28.6 million at the box office. It was the 17th highest grossing film of 1976. 
It was nominated for four Oscars at the 1977 Academy Awards and was inducted into the National Film Registry in 1994. On the Ski Index, I give it four out of five stars. I think that's a fair assessment. I'd probably take off a star personally, because while I like it from a filmmaking standpoint, I don't feel the need to watch it again. And replayability is a big factor for me. If you've seen Taxi Driver and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there'll be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Vogue has an ongoing series online called 73 Questions With and features a different celebrity. It's done in seemingly one take, but it's filmed around different rooms of the location they're in. What I like about the segment is that the actors seem at ease with the interviewer, and you get better insight into their personalities and interests. It's not like a late-night talk show where they're there to promote their latest project and have talking points from their publicist. Now, I'm not naive enough to believe that Vogue interviews aren't part that, but like Hot Ones, they found a way to make the celebrity come across very down-to-earth. I've selected a couple of my favorites, which also happens to be actors I admire and respect. First is Margot Robbie. Ever since I saw Birds of Prey, she has been on my radar. I know that's later than a lot of fans, but that was the first project I connected with. I wasn't interested in Wolf of Wall Street, The Big Short, Whiskey Tango, Foxtrot. None of them moved the needle for me. But I've since been going back and watching her movies because she always makes interesting choices. And from the interview, she comes across so cool. I know, that's such a 90s thing to say, but she seems like someone you just want to hang out with. Next is Gal Gadot, another actress I was late on. Wonder Woman was her breakthrough role for me. I hadn't seen any of the Fast and the Furious movies until recently. And while I like DC films, Batman vs. Superman and Justice League had some issues. But I think she's extremely talented. I adore her accent. I know she got a lot of flack for the Imagine video. I think she only had positive intentions. I've seen her in a bunch of interviews and behind the scenes, and she just seems like a great spirit. Last is Olivia Coleman, an actress I was not late on. In fact, I was pretty early on the Olivia Coleman train, having seen her in Mitchell and Webb Projects and Peep Show. She had an incredible performance in Tyrannosaur, which was written and directed by Patty Considine. But she was the linchpin of Broadchurch. She had great chemistry with David Tennant, and you could see all the directions her character's loyalty was being pulled, from her job to her family to the community. She is so brilliant. I'm glad the world is recognizing that, and she is deserving of any and all accolades. These clips are available in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about My Cousin Vinny. Directed by Jonathan Lynn, who helmed Nuns on the Run, Sergeant Bilko, The Whole Nine Yards, and another favorite comedy of mine, Clue. It was written by Dale Launer, who scribed Ruthless People, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and Love Potion Number 9. 
It tells the story of Bill Gambini and Stan Rothenstein, who are pulled over and brought in for questioning over what they think is a shoplifting charge, only to be informed by the police that they're accused of murder. Bill calls his cousin, Vinnie Gambini, a personal injury attorney with no trial experience. It stars Joe Pesci, Marissa Tomei, Ralph Macchio, and Mitchell Whitfield. It also features Fred Gwynn, Austin Pendleton, Bruce McGill, and James Rebhorn. It's one of my favorite comedies, and certainly on my repeat viewing list. It's often been praised for its legal accuracy, ranking number three on the 25 greatest legal movies by the American Bar Association. Director Jonathan Lynn graduated with a law degree from the University of Cambridge. The British native was also responsible for one of the more memorable scenes where Judge Haller doesn't understand the word utes. That came from an actual conversation between him and Joe Pesci, whose thick New York accent he found hard to understand. The film was successful at the box office, earning $64 million on an $11 million budget. It earned Marissa Tomei an Oscar for Best Actress in a Supporting Role in a somewhat surprising fashion. At the 65th Academy Awards, she was nominated with four renowned British actresses in prestigious films, so it was a shock that the winner would be from a comedy. Obviously, I know awards aren't based on longevity, but every middle-aged woman has quoted, My biological clock is ticking! When was the last time someone quoted or talked about the films Husbands and Wives, Enchanted April, Howard's End, or Damage? Yeah, exactly. So I think the Academy made the right choice. And she was great in the part. And if you look at her filmography, she's a really good actress. So poof to anyone who doesn't believe so. Anyway, go check it out wherever it's streaming. Buy it on Blu-ray. It's definitely a keeper. I guarantee you'll be watching it over and over again. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed, or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness. As well as horror heredity. Oh, I think I missed a couple of syllables there. They produced the 2023 Best Picture Motion Picture. Oh, boy. And Melvin Shapiro, who worked on Finian's Rainbow, Brenda Starr, Billy Jack Goes to Hollywood. Not, not where Billy Jack went. He totally went to Washington. That he saw at the campaign headquarters of Senator Charles Palpatine. Palpatine. <laughs> Oh, I almost sounded like him.